0: Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, build your faith. Enjoy the message. Um, yeah, I think I think we all can agree that we had enough craziness this morning. <laughs> um, it's time for something a little bit more churchly. <laughs> and a little bit more fitting for, you know, like a, the seriousness of our congregation. <laughs> no, it's... Um, it's really cool. What do you want more? Eh? Writing songs and burning stuff. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I have to say that the last couple of weeks were a little bit out of my comfort zone. Just, um, you know, the fact that we don't do worship anymore, that we don't sing songs anymore. I don't know if everybody feels like that. It's a bit challenging to do worship in a different kind of way, and um, it brought me back to, you know, like to the olden days. The days when I was still young, you know, and uh, when I didn't have to be on a diet of crackers to maintain my weight. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these kind of beautiful days when uh, you look like a young goddess and you didn't have to work for it. Well, in my case, not really, but (laughs) you get what I mean? (laughs) Anyway, it brought me back to the days when I was still, um, you know, like a lot of people don't know that, but I, I actually used to be a worship leader in the Netherlands myself, and I used to be a worship singer. And um, you know, like, and I, I thought back on the days that I was a worship singer, and I, it's really like, if uh, if you're annoyed to hear me talk. Wait, how annoyed you're going to be if you hear me sing? <laughs> so it's even 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 worse. <laughs> and um, and looking back on that uh, on that time, that I was a worship leader. You know, like I, I I thought about the group of people that that I was worshiping with together. And um, yeah, it it was just really we were so you know like we were so unprofessional. And, you know, like, and and if you look at at how we were doing it, it is really, you know, the sound, how I was singing, you know, it it just sounded so awful. And, um, you know, like, and and we had all these these things, you know, but, uh, you know, if you looked at me singing, you know, it it really was, um, you know, it really was terrible. I, uh, it it's actually the Bible also uh, prophesied about it in Amos uh, f- uh, 5, verse 23. It says, take away uh, from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. And we were really like that. Like our, um, you know, like our guitar player. He, um, you know, he, he basically... You know, he, just, he, he basically didn't change anything since 1975 or something. He was an older guy. He was really, um, you know, playing Led Zeppelin every, every practice. He started off with Led Zeppelin. We had a drummer. The drummer, um, you know, he basically only knew one rhythm. And he played that one rhythm for like about 10, 15 years. And, and you would have thought that, you know, if you play the same rhythm for 10, 15 years, that you would have stumbled, you know, by accident upon a second rhythm. <laughs> but he he played everything, you know, what they call soft rock rhythm. And it was kind of like... Tuk, 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 and, and, you know, like we just played two types of songs. We played slow songs and we played fast songs. And the slow songs, they were just like a slow rhythm. Tuk, 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 tuk. And the fast songs were... The same rhythm, but then fast. <laughs> and, and we weren't only, you know, terrible in, in you know, like in our abilities and, and by no means fit to practice as, as worship uh, people. But we also were like chronically burnt out because for like about three and a half years, we were the only, um, the only worship leaders or only worship members in our band. And we used to practice for, or we used to like do about three services a week. And uh, and it was uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and, and Wednesday evening. And and because we were always on, we never really had time to practice new songs. So for that three years that I was worship leader, you know, we played the same 20 songs over and over and over again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this, this will give you a little bit of an idea, uh, you know, how our worship looked like in those three years. And... Nevertheless, despite of all that, um, I think we really were, despite of that lack of abilities, we were really seeking to please God in our worship. And we sucked in so many different ways. (laughs) Uh, But we really were seeking God. And I, I thought about it because I thought... You know, like everything has a thing in itself. You know, like a thing what it's supposed to be, what it's meant to be. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that. You know, like the worship in heaven. And um, today, I'm also going to talk about that in, uh, in Revelation 5. I've been asked to talk about that. So everything in life has an essence in itself. And I want to just explore what is that essence of worship this morning. You know, studying Revelation... Um, you know, what I've already been doing in my Bible study group. Last week I had to do uh, about, uh, you know, like a study about Revelation 3. And it was the uh, the church of Sardis. Now And it talks about the church that uh, is described as dead. So you have almost like an, um, how do you say that? Like a, you know, like a clear distinction, like, you still are a church, but the church in Sardis is dead. And you think to yourself when I was, you know, like when I was preparing that, you think, is it possible, you know, that the essence of what you are, you are so far away from its essence that you're no longer called a church anymore? So, you know, that brought me to the idea, what does it make? You know, what what does worship, what's the essence of that worship? And how can we seek that heavenly worship? And, you know, like Revelation 5 is a Bible text that describes that that type of worship. And um, it's a very beautiful text. Why is it beautiful? Um, You know, last week, pastor talked about Revelation 4. And in Revelation 4, we actually get a painting, sort of like a picture of the heavenly throne. So you see the throne room, and it's pictured exactly how people are worshipping there. Um, Revelation 5 is different. Revelation 5 is not a picture. Revelation 5 is a movie. And and you actually see that there's a drama unfolding. And uh, what I love about Revelation is that it's like drift sand, you know, like you can go up and suck it up in the details. But sometimes it's really good to just watch the movie unfold before you. And, you know, let it speak to you in the pictures that are there. And I just want to look at that together. So I, I, before you read that text, Revelation 5, I, I really want to ask you, you know, not so much to look at all the words. But while we're reading this together, to to sort of immerse yourself into that, um, you know, into the movie aspect of things. So uh, let's start. Um, The scroll and the lamb. And it says here, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And then John writes further and he says, And I began to weep loudly. The Bible says, I weeped and weeped and weeped and weeped. Because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then he describes further the, the scene there in the throne room. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God has sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, a little bit like what we've been burning here, (laughs) which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And, and it's a beautiful song that's being sang, and that, that, the sound of heaven. And it goes like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you that, um, you know, you showed us your word, and that you showed us in, in Revelation, you know, like the, the beauty of the heavenly worship. And I just pray, Father, that uh, by, you know, processing this text, that step by step you will show us the mystery, you know, of the, the, the mindset that you want us to have, Father, and, you know, like in worshiping for you. And also show us a glimpse of the sacrifice that you brought And how it will change us and, you know, how it will, you know, like renew us in being Christians. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look together at the text. Um, You know, what we see here is um, a vision. And John, you know, he's in the spirit. And he's looking at the throne room, a heavenly throne room there. And if we look together at the text... You know, we see that there's a man sitting there, like a big, uh, like on the throne, and that represents God. And what you see is that God is sitting there with his hand like this. And on his hand, he has a um, sort of a letter, you know, like a scroll, we call it. Everybody know what the scroll is? It's like a, a sort of like, an uh, before they had books, they had like these long you know, pieces of parchment, and they were sort of rolled up. Now, and the scroll that he has there is a scroll that is written on in both sides. And if you look at it like a movie, you know, you, like, like, like if, if in a movie the, there's a letter or something, you know, you always get a glimpse of what's written on it. But the Bible here doesn't actually say what's written on the, on the, on the scroll. It's absolutely not clear. But we do know, you know, we do know a little bit about that scroll. So we do know that, you know, like the person who sits on the throne, he's basically holding it in his hand. And um, he's not holding it in his hand like, like this, that people have to grab it out of his hand or pull it out of his hand. But he's holding it in his hand like this, you know, like a, like a, like a waitress is holding a, um, some sort of like, um, how you call it, like a tray. And, and what does that mean? That means like it's lying on his hand and everybody that wants to can just take the scroll. I mean, he's not holding it. It's not that God is, you know, who's pictured here that he's holding it. It is there for grabs. But there's a, a like there's a mighty angel And a mighty angel gives the challenge. And and that challenge is, um, is there anybody here in this throne room who is worthy to open that scroll? You know, you don't have to grab it from God. It's just for the taking. There's only one thing. You need to be worthy enough to grab that scroll. And, you know, when I was studying this, I wondered what's written on that scroll because it's not actually told, you know, what this scroll is about. But, you know, if you start studying it, you notice that there is, um, there's a couple of things that we can sort of like, like, you know, like guess what could be written on that scroll. Because scrolls in that time that were written on both sides are actually, you know, meant to be a last will for somebody. And, you know, like for instance, you had the Roman emperors, and they had scrolls also with seven seals, seven being the sign of perfection. And although there were always several wills, you know, like going around, you know, after an emperor died, there wasn't just one will that told what was supposed to be done afterwards. There were always multiple, you know, like scrolls in circulation. But there was only one scroll that had the seals. And it was the person who was able to open those seals that wasn't able to know wasn't only able to know what's written on the scrolls but he also was able to execute the will so what you know what is pictured here is that God is basically sitting on his throne scroll in his hand and the person that is worthy enough to take the scroll is the person that is able to execute all the blessings and all the curses from God's mighty plan. But you can't, it, it is there so close. You know, John is there in the throne room. He just has to make a leap and just grab the thing out of God's hand. But the question is, is John worthy enough to do that? What's the answer? Is he worthy enough to do that? No, he's not. And that is the, that's the thing. So anybody in that throne room can just go there and, and grab that scroll. But on the other hand, nobody can go up there and grab that scroll. Because nobody is worthy enough. And that's what the Bible says. Nobody under heaven and earth. And I, you know, like I love that. So John realizes that he that he's just is unable to take the scroll, so what does he do? He starts crying and crying and crying, and you know I love that because um you know like that crying is an attitude thing, and i i mean. You know, it shows him emotion that he, you know, like that that that's that grabs him, which you know, which which keeps him basically from going up there, and and I I it actually brought me back also to, um, you know, like to something that that you know that I saw when I was just a very young Christian. So as um, as many people know, I've I've actually I'm not Kiwi. (laughs) <laughs> you might have noticed that <laughs> I actually am uh, Dutch I'm from another country but, uh, and it also means I, I was saved uh, not in this church I was saved in another church and uh, I was saved in a church that, is, that was very very ambitious so why was it ambitious we felt that we were the vehicle of God to reach the world and, um, you know, like there was a high emphasis on becoming a pastor. Like um, in the church that I was saved in, either you were a pastor or you really wanted to become a pastor. Or you <laughs> didn't really, you know, like you're sort of almost not worth mentioning that you were a Christian if you were not a pastor or you didn't really want to become a pastor. So we were all super ambitious. Um, being young and being so full of energy as, as I was at that stage. W- um, you know, so what do you do? You want to become a pastor. And how do you show that you're worthy to be a pastor? Now, you, um, in our church there, it was basically said, if you want to become a pastor, you already need to show signs of that in your home church. So basically, you need to bring people to Christ. And if you can show that you can bring a lot of people to Christ then you are worthy to be a pastor you know like made out of uh, so um bringing people to christ is not uh, <laughs> it's not very easy <laughs> to say the least we, we used to go evangelizing a couple of times a week but um the gospel didn't appeal to a lot of people um so so what do you do if you really are ambitious and you want to save people but your gospel message is not really appealing to a lot of people that you talk to. Um, you just sort of change, it to change your message a little bit. <laughs> so you bring them a slightly, slightly, you know, like different gospel. <laughs> so what do you do is um, you tell people, especially, you know, God loves you. And, um, you know, listen, if you become a Christian, then your life is going to be so much better. You, you, you're going to do better in your work. You're going to do better, you know, in everything that you undertake. And uh, doing that, you actually, you know, get pretty successful in bringing people to Christ. (laughs) The only thing is that, you know, what I noticed is that, you know, like, there were also a lot of people going to Christ in our church, but there were also a lot of people leaving again. And, you know, like, in those people that were leaving again were usually people that made a decision on the street that came in. But, you know, when they found out that the life of being a Christian is not always easy, you know, it's not always fun like like what we had this morning, you know, burning stuff and things. <laughs> it's really hard sometimes. You know, like it's really hard if your family, you know, might not agree with, you know, with you becoming a Christian. You know, it's really hard. Um, you know, like you really need to sacrifice stuff. And, and, you know, what I noticed is that a lot of people, when they start finding out, they actually, you know, started to doubt and wonder if they really wanted to become a Christian. But I also saw that there was always one group of persons. And they seemed to persevere. And, you know, those were the people that came in through a different gospel. They basically came in through a gospel... You know, like where they were shown that they were utterly and utterly dependent on Christ. That were the people that came in. You know, and I had to think about John because there's a lot of similarity there. You know, that were the people that came in through a gospel where they, you know, where they weep. They weep because they see that they cannot open the scroll themselves. And... I, you know, like I, I wondered about that, that, that weeping. You know, like that weeping. Why does John weep here? And I, I really, I honestly think he's weeping for different reasons. I think he's weeping, first of all, I think he's weeping because he actually sees that, you know, in that scroll is the will and the testament of God. But there is no way that it can be, you know, it can be executed. So what does that mean? That would mean that life is utterly meaningless. That there is no hope for nobody. If God can't do his will, there's utterly no hope for us. But I also think that he is weeping on a more personal level. I think that he really sees, you know, he sees the, the perfect plan of God lying there in front of him. And he sees the necessity that it needs to be executed. But he also sees his complete inability to do it himself. And that mindset is the mindset that I recognize from those people that persevered in their faith in my my old church. The mindset that you do, you know, that you see a task at hand. And you're completely and utterly convinced you know that the will of God needs to be done. But you also see that you cannot just do it by yourself. And I, 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 I loved it. I loved it in, in, in John. And, and I, I also believe, you know, like the, this, this, um, you know, ba- this movie, basically, in Revelation 5, has three parts. You know, and this is the end of the first scene. And it's almost like the end of the first scene. You know, like there's this kind of, um, you know, if it would have ended there, Imagine that the story would have ended there. You know, like the scroll is there in the hand. Uh, John can't take it. He cries. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't have been pretty sad. (laughs) Uh, And I also think, to be honest, that if, you know, the movie could have ended there if John wouldn't have been John. So the movie could have ended there if if John would have come and he... um, you know, like, and God's David scroll, and he would have jumped up and said, uh, don't worry, God, it's me, John, <laughs> let me take the scroll for you. <laughs> that would also be the end of the movie. <laughs> it wouldn't be a good end, though. <laughs> but uh, the movie continues, and, and um, you know, like, he's crying, basically. The guy's crying, uh, poor guy, he's just really sad, because he can't do anything, and he sees the task. But then he's comforted. And that's the beginning of scene two. And in scene two, you know, one of the elders comes to him. Um, who's that elder? We have absolutely no idea who, who, the, who that elder is. You know, if it's like a saint or it's an angel or whatever. But he comes to him. And he basically says, like, you know, like, why, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. And I can see John, like, uh, because it's a movie, I can see him, like, sitting like this here, you know, like, crying and, you know, not looking, being in himself. And, and he, and then he hears the lion. Oh, yeah, he thinks, must be, he must be, thinking, yeah, of course. You know, like, only a lion, only a, a person of such strength can take the scroll. So, he looks up and he expects to see a lion. But he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. And he sees a lamb, not just a lamb, he sees a lamb, blood-soaked lamb. Can you imagine that? You're expecting to see a lion, but you see a lamb. And, you know, I love that wordplay in Revelation, completely crazy. You know, like, because, you know, we expect, you know, we expect that God victorious kind of lion. You know, and I always have to think, do, do you guys know the movie uh, Narnia? The Narnia movies? Yeah, everybody knows it. So, like, like um, you know, at, the, at a certain moment, you know, like, um, you know, there's this discussion between, um, you know, Lucy and, um, you know, like Mr. Beaver and all these other characters, and it's about the nature of God. And, and, and then, uh, you know, like, that basically, they ask about Eslan, Eslan being the lion. And then Lucy asks, is he safe? And then Mr. Beaver says, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. Ferocious lion. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then Mr. Tumner says, he is wild, you know. He is not a tame lion. <laughs> See, that's the kind of that's the kind of th- that's the kind of victory. You know, that's, that's there's a person that can take the scroll. That's a guy we can trust, you know, like of, of, of fulfilling the plan of God. But John doesn't see that. He sees another picture. He sees a blood-soaked lamb. And what is that lamb? You know, like that is an, an innocence. You know, it shows an innocence in the Bible, the lamb. It, shows, you know, it also shows a protection, you know, the blood of the lamb against the walls, you know, to protect the Israelites. But most of all, it shows a sacrifice. You know, it shows that sacrificial part. And I, I just love that. Because, you know, we talked first, you know, like first of all, when I talked about, you know, like worship, you talk about what's the essence. And, and now we talk about the lamb, you know, what is the essence of, you know, of that, of that suffering that he had. And, and I want to take you to Luke 22, verse 39, to look into that. And it says there, Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. Um, in reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you won't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And then it says here, and and for me this is really important because it shows like the the character of the suffering that we want to talk today about. It says here, I'm being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood. (laughs) (laughs) Falling, trying to focus. (laughs) Okay, guys. (laughs) Promise, if if the place burns down here, I will <laughs> promise I will stay. Be the last one out. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so like and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, uh, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Yeah. So basically, you know, he's there, and that suffering of the lamb, that blood-soaked nature of the lamb. You know what is that? You know what is that essence? you know, that the essence is basically, it's not so much the the, the part that he had to suffer physically, but it was more the part that he had to suffer mentally, and that he suffered in his essence, in his nature. And, you know, I thought, you know, like, our suffering is, you know, like, ourselves, you know, like looking at ourselves, our suffering is not always that we have physical pain. But it is more like it was with Jesus, the fact that you're brought into a situation and you've got these external things happening to you. And you have absolutely no control over them. And, you know, like, for instance, if you have an illness. You know, I see a lot, as a doctor, I see a lot of people with illnesses, obviously. And... And what I'm seeing is that the suffering is not so much always the pain that they're physically having, but it is really the fact that, that, they, that, they, that they're not in control anymore over their own life. So it, uh, the real suffering is here that, that, that complete loss of control. Sacrifice is a complete loss of control. And I, I, j- I just love that because this is really what... Um, you know, this is what the song is about. And then going to the you know the third scene in this you know in this story, and then basically uh, immediately at the moment that Jesus the Lamb takes the scroll, the song starts, you know like and it's almost like the you know like the songs that you get when the movie finishes, and and the, yeah you know the climax basically. It says, he worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every nation, tribe, you know, a language, people, a nation. And it says here, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign the earth. And I, I was contemplating about it. And I, I don't think it is possible to, you know, to formulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a, in a more direct and truthful way than is done here in the sounds of heaven. And if we're talking about the sounds of heaven, I think essentially we're talking about the true gospel. And, and you know, contemplating this, this is the true gospel in its essence. So, we talked about all these things that are true and the true worship. I guess, you know, for me, and I'm going to end with this. You know, what is true worship? What is the true sound of heaven? I think there's different dimensions to that. I think the most important dimension, first of all, is our personal dimension. And it's a, I think it's a heart that is truly converted, you know, like in a truthful manner, being a heart that looks at their own life and sees the absolute necessity for dependence on Christ. And and it doesn't always work out, you know, like in a practical kind of way. In the sense that, you know, we still work in process. And, you know, like just how I was working as a worship leader, you know, being so absolutely... Terrible in what I was doing, but still really wanting to serve God is, you know, that's the most important thing. So it's a condition of the heart. And for me, this, you know, what happened this morning was actually really, really cool because... um, you know, like all it, because step by step this morning before I did the sermon, we went through all these different processes that I'm going to talk about now in the last point. You know, first being we we actually wrote psalms for God, and and listening to you know like some people were a bit more poetic than others, and some people were a bit silly, <laughs> and and it but but the common denominator was that. Everybody in those psalms, if you heard it, said, I am not worthy. I am not worthy by myself to take that scroll. And I, I just love that. I, I think God loves a church of people. You know, that, that when they write a psalm, the first thing that comes to mind is that I need you, God. I need you. I can't do it by myself. And I mean, you know, there's all... But there's all parts of our life where we are faithful, and parts of our life where we could grow in faithfulness. But as long as you have that kind of like, yeah, that underlying current of seeing your complete dependence on God, just like how Jesus was totally dependent on His Father, if we can represent that, that is a really, really wonderful start. Yeah, yeah and the and the, the second thing. You know, is you know, like true worship worships a true Christ. So we need to worship Christ in both ways. We need to worship him as the lion. You know, and we need to worship him as the lamb. And you know, like that is he he is really a lamb that roars like a lion. He is really like that, and I I, I love that. So, how do you do that? You need to see into your life that he both has the right and he has the might. And I was thinking about it. The part that he's a slain lamb gives him the right, and the part that he's a victorious lion gives him the might, can we both see in our lives that we cannot make it, but we can make it through him? And that he also has the power as a victorious lion to do what he promised. And I mean that things that we struggle with sometimes. Either we look at ourselves differently or we look at God differently, see his power differently. He 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 can indeed his promises, when I was studying this, these promises often seem so great that they are difficult to believe. And, um, 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 yeah, at at this moment, I was actually planning to talk about uh, selling my house, uh, but I see that our real estate agent is actually sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) This morning. Mm -hmm. So so I probably want to skip that one, that illustration. (laughs) Um, Anyway... I wanted to say that our promises often are, you know, the promises of the of the gospel are are often so you know so big that we find them difficult to believe. You know, the promises often are really so large. But if you can see the immense, immense sacrifice that Jesus brought, then those promises might seem big, but they're not impossible for a god that is a roaring lion that certainly is not tame that is certainly not safe i mean you know can we see that so you know what is the main you know the third point and and i mean i mean another thing because it was so perfectly in line with what we did this morning um the burning burning of the things that we really want to change in our lives. So, essentially, we were literally sacrificing those things on the altar. And, you know, sacrificing those things in our life is an act of worship. And I see that in the song of heaven here. I see that in the song. You know, because it says here, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. You know, like lion and lamb is also reflected in our lives. How is it reflected in our lives? It's reflected in our lives that we, um, we are not just kings. We are not just roaring lions. But we are roaring lions through our priestly work. What is the work of a priest? A priest gives sacrifice. By sacrifice, we are kings. And the Bible just doesn't say here, you're kings. No, you're kings through your priesthood. And this morning, we actually operated in our priesthood. How did we operate it in our priesthood? We gave parts of our life this morning on the altar. And, you know, I just find it so beautiful. So... So the main message is basically this. You know, true worship you know, comes from a heart that really needs God. A heart that really needs God will see Christ in a revelation of who he really is. And a Christ that is revealed who he is, what he is, is a Christ that is so worthy to, to, to worship. And he's so worthy for what he's done. And because of serving that Christ in a proper way, we, we actually are priests that are made into kings. And um, I just am thankful for God, you know, like for what he did and how he showed this uh, to me. And I would, you know, I would just uh, ask, you know, ask maybe at home just to read through it again and accept that challenge. You know, what is the things that I can sacrifice, you know, on the altar? Just how he sacrificed himself for us. And, um, you know, I just want to pray that uh, Jesus will help us with that. Let us grow into those things. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Uh, We want to, uh, you know, we really want to thank you this morning, Father. That um, we haven't just heard your word, but we also have, you know, done your word. And by doing your words, Father, you know, like I truly believe that you're going to draw us closer. You know, you're going to give us that victory that we so desperately need because we can't do it in any other way. And instead of weeping, you know, we can we can actually also choose a different way. We can also choose, Father, to, you know, to enjoy and to accept your victory instead of, um, you know, worrying and you know, dwelling on our own inability without accepting that, that you already paid the price, you know, to change that. And I just pray, Father, that you will bless those uh, changes that have been, you know, like, um, you know, have been promised this morning. You know, the people that really, you know, wanted to give these things that they want to grow in on the altar and, you know, those parts of their life that they wanted to grow in on their altar. And I just pray, Father, that you can bless, you know, bless those people. Bless those people in, uh, you know, the changes that you're going to make. Let them succeed, Father, and, you know, make them, uh, you know, a testimony for your power. And I I thank you, Jesus, that you're both, you know, the lamb and the lion. And that uh, we can always rely on your promises. And as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube or our app. We are Zion People.